0: The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501c3 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of new media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation which is fully tax deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com.
1: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's Part 2 of the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 4. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.
2: Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death as it did to Adam. He didn't drop over dead, but it was a spiritual death. And what did he do? The woman, the woman who you gave here to be with me, well, she made me eat from the fruit of the tree. Immediately, there's rationalization. It's her fault. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. It wasn't her fault. He did it. First John 2, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. And the world passes away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides how long? Forever. Forever. Of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. A kind of firstfruits, a recreation, a new beginning, a new, behold, I make all things new again. So the 77 ancestors that Luke has, Jesus is number 77. He's perfection of forgiveness for us, sons of Adam, new sons of Adam and Eve. So that temptation, the son of Adam, the son of God, this new Adam is going to be sent out into the desert, led by the spirit to face his own temptation, the new Adam. And how will he do? He's been full of the Holy Spirit and he returns from the Jordan and he was led by the spirit for 40 days in the wilderness. 40 days. You Bible students should know numbers are important. And what is 40? Temptation. Uh, It's a judgment. We see it a lot in the Bible. It's four times 10 universality, uh, north, south, east, west, the four ordinal directions times 10 of fullness. It's a total judgment. It's a time of purification, perhaps. We know it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Noah was told to build this, and he did. Jesus is being sent out for 40 days, 40 nights, and he's going to be tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing in those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So notice how Satan waits till he's at his weakest. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, but really spiritually, that's his strongest, right? If you fast or something, you know that there's a spiritual strength that comes with that. So he's really not at his weakest. The devil said to him, if, if, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And he's so hungry, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. If, isn't it interesting that he starts with if, does he not know who he is? Is he trying to figure out, are you the one, are you the one I've been waiting for? No, it couldn't be him. He's not born of a virgin. I've seen his mom and dad, they're a normal family can't be this guy. He must be a false prophet, but boy, he's doing powerful miracles. Hmm. If, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He quotes there from Deuteronomy 8. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and for their glory. And it has been delivered to me and I can give it to whom I will. And if you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. Now, how did he get to be king of the world, prince of the world? When he was thrown out of heaven, he became prince of the world. And scripture tells us that. We know that we are of God and the whole world is in the power of the evil one. The world is in the power of the evil one. In Ephesians 2, you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. We're not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's very real, and he's the prince of the world. And Peter tells us, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He would love every soul he can get. His time's been cut short. He's been duped at Jesus on the cross. He's waiting for the second coming of Christ. He's trying to get all the souls he can possibly get in the meantime. And he's mad. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve right from the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Then Satan takes him to Jerusalem, the holy city, the city of David, and he sits him on the pinnacle of the temple. That's where the true presence of God is supposed to be. He's drawn to the temple. And he said to him, if, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. If you are the son of God. See how he's testing him? He just wants to know, is this the one? He's trying to get it out of him. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, says Satan's going to quote scripture, he will give you his angels, charge of you, to guard you. On their hands they will bear you up. Lest you dash your foot against a stone. And he, you know, the devil is questioning him with Psalm 91. And Jesus said to him, it is said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Ooh, good one. <laughs> Satan knows scripture, but Jesus knows Scripture. Jesus is the word. He is the word of God. He is the word made flesh. He knows the scriptures. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He is not done. He is not done trying to figure out who this guy is that everyone is following around everywhere he goes. He's healing. He's driving out demons. Who is this guy? Jesus did not fall against these strong temptations. He knew the word of God. He is the word of God. Satan knows the word of God, too. He can twist it. He can contort it. He can be ever so sly. He can do half-truths with the word of God. So you have to know the word of God. Did the devil find out the true identity of Jesus Christ? There's something in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, called the messianic secret. It's really interesting, and I love it. But Jesus often commanded his followers or those that he healed to maintain silence. About his messianic mission, don't tell anybody. Shh. Silence. All the way through, Shh. don't tell anybody. Why? Why not tell anybody? I thought you're trying to advance your kingdom. I thought we we're supposed to evangelize. Don't tell anybody. It's not here yet. <laughs> He hasn't died on the cross yet he hasn't saved man yet he hasn't acted out the father's plan everyone wants to thwart the father's plan especially satan and the demons as we see in this next scene in luke 4:31 he's in capernaum the city of galilee and he's teaching on the sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority this is authority they have never heard before they have never seen this type of authority that he's teaching with and in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon And he cried out with a loud voice, ah, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Just at the word of Jesus, just Jesus in his commanding authority, telling the demon he had to leave, the demon had to leave. He had no choice. That's the kind of authority Jesus Christ had. So this demon knows, oh, this guy's good. This guy's something. This guy's something. I know who you are. I know who you are. Na, na, I'm going to go tell Satan. And they were all amazed. And they said to one another, what is this? For the power and authority, with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits. And they come out. And reports of him went out through every place in the surrounding region. It's going to be hard to keep the messianic secret." Right? Who are you? Who are you? But he hasn't completed the mission yet. Mary and the fathers of the church. I love this book. It talks about Mary in patristic thought, and I want to tell you what it says in this book about. In his letter to the Ephesians, Ignatius of Antioch, one of the very early, uh, he followed Polycarp. Polycarp followed John. Ignatius of Antioch stressed three mysteries in God's plan that had to keep kept hidden from the prince of this world namely the devil, Satan. He said there are three things that had to be secret from the devil. Number one, the virginity of Mary that had to be kept secret. Number two, the virgin birth. Don't tell anyone that Jesus had a virgin birth. And number three, the death of Jesus on the cross. Those all three had to be kept secret. Why? St. Ignatius doesn't explain why or how these mysteries had to remain hidden from the devil. Seems like everyone knew at the time. But let's think about it, the virginity of Mary. The old Eve woman was a virgin. The new Eve woman must also be a virgin. The the Eve is a virgin woman. At the time of the fall, she has not laid with her husband Adam yet. That happens in Genesis chapter 4. The next chapter, they come together. She becomes pregnant with Cain. And she says, oh, with the help of the Lord, I've, I've, I've gotten a man. And she becomes pregnant. That's only after the fall. She is a virgin woman. Okay? And Satan is lying in wait, waiting and watching for a virgin woman who would conceive an offspring. It's in Isaiah seven fourteen also. The seed's gonna be the Messiah. So you can bet he's watching for any virgin woman that's pregnant, right? So that has to be a secret the virginity of Mary. The second thing, don't tell anyone about the virgin birth. Don't tell anyone that Jesus was born from a virgin birth. Why? In our catechism, it says the deepening of faith in the virginal motherhood led the church to confess Mary's real and perpetual virginity, even in the act of giving birth to the son of God made man. In fact, Christ's birth did not diminish his mother's virginal integrity, but sanctified it. And so the liturgy of the mass celebrates Mary as always ever virgin. Mary remained a virgin in marriage to Joseph, and that was the perfect disguise for the prince of this world. Because he's looking for a virgin. They just look like a normal old Mary family. It even fools some people today in the world who doubt that Mary could have stayed a virgin. There are so many people that don't believe that, but it has to be. The true presence of God, she's the new Ark of the Covenant. The true presence of God is in her womb. And what's the number one rule about the Ark? Don't touch the Ark. Do not touch the Ark. And God's supernatural grace is on Joseph, whom God has chosen for this purpose to be the defender and protector of the Holy Family. And do we not think this is it's even in the Old Testament, New Testament typology chaste, Joseph? Do you remember Joseph? He was the Hebrew man. He was taken and put in prison, and, and, and Potiphar's wife comes to him and says, Hey, I can get you out of prison. Come up to my bedroom. And, and he won't have any part of it. He's chaste. The new Joseph will be chaste, he won't touch Mary. God has graced him with supernatural grace in their marriage. He knows. Thomas Aquinas says that both the conception and the birth are miraculous. There's no natural explanation. It's a supernatural birth. And he uses this verse, behold, you will conceive and bear. You're going to conceive and bear. The virgin woman will conceive and bear. The angel Gabriel has spoken it. And he says that's enough for him. It's told in scripture from the angel Gabriel. She will remain a virgin, and the church fathers said, like light passing through glass. The light of the world has passed through the glass of the virginal wall of Mary without harming it in any way. It stays intact. Mary is virgin, ever virgin. Just like the way Jesus could walk through the doors on Easter night, through locked doors, he just, like water, like light through glass. He just right through, kept the door intact, didn't break it, didn't break the sill. And then the third thing, the death on the cross must be kept a secret. Why? That's when salvation came. That's when his head is crushed. That's when vindication happens. None of God's purposes can be thwarted. Don't tell the plan. He told his close ones a few times, but they didn't want to hear it. But don't thwart God's plan. The cross is part of God's plan. It's the most unlikely thing that it's going to really fool the devil. It it is a phenomenal plan that this is the way God's going to redeem us. Who would have ever cooked this one up? I mean, this is brilliant. God, you are so smart, okay? You're so omnipotent. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and a report concerning him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, and he was being glorified by all. Wow, his ministry's off to a great start. He's really growing steam. Everyone is glorifying him, all people. He goes into Nazareth where he has been brought up. That's his hometown, It's homecoming, you know, and he went into the synagogue, as was his custom on Sabbath day, and he stood up to read and they handed him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he is so intentional to unroll the scroll and find the exact perfect place where he wants to read. And this is what he, re- he it says. He opened the book and found the place where it was written The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives, recovering the sight to the blind, to set all at liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the power and the conviction and the authority with which he spoke this word of Isaiah, everyone there knew. Everyone there knew. (laughs) And and, and he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. Who is this guy? And he began to say to them, today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's basically self-identifying himself as Messiah in a secret way. And all spoke well of him. And they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded from his mouth. They felt the power of the Holy Spirit, they felt as He proclaimed it with authority. But then they said, "Is this not Joseph's son? I mean, don't they have the carpentry shop down the street? I mean, I've seen this kid all, I've seen this, been seeing this kid for 30 years He's a nice kid, but I mean, really? Isn't this Joseph's son?" And Jesus said to them, "Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, "Physician, heal yourself." What we heard you did at Capernaum, do also here in, in, in our own country." Ah.
1: We'll return to Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran in just a moment.
0: Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app.
2: The Memorari. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to Thy protection, implored Thy help, or sought Thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to Thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To Thee do I come, before Thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word Incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in Thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen.
1: Hello, friends. Please take a look at SeekingTruth.net and find out how you can join as an individual online learner. Sharon's lectures are presented in a rich media format with audio, video, and an abundance of beautiful images which draw you into a deeper understanding of God's Word. In addition, part of the Seeking Truth mission is to build parish life through the communal study of God's Word. To encourage parishes to begin a Bible study, Seeking Truth offers its curriculum free of charge for parishes hosting a class. Please visit us at seekingtruth.net where you can register to bring Seeking Truth to your own local parish. We now return to Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran.
2: He feels the resistance now. He feels the lack of faith there. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. No prophet is acceptable in his own country. Do you ever feel that way in your own kitchen? In your own living room? At the dinner table when you're fighting with the sun? Or you're you're telling to speak the truth to a son and and you're not welcome there? Go away. We don't want to hear you, old man. But in truth, I tell you, said Jesus, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And when the heaven was shut up for three and a half years, there came a great famine over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Zarephath! Sidon! They hate Zarephath. They hate Sidon. What? 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 That's Phoenician territory. That's, a, that's, not, that's, not, that's not our people. Who are you talking about? The new Elijah, John the Baptist, was preaching to a soon-to-be-widowed Israel, telling her to repent, telling her the time was at hand. And what did that do for him? <laughs> God's voice silenced. When God died on the cross, in the second person of God, Jesus Christ, Israel became a temporary widow. Their husband's dead. God was their husband. They had a covenant. They had a marriage covenant. <laughs> when Jesus dies on the cross, in the second person of the Trinity, the covenant's null and void. Israel's a widow. Now what? So we see Elijah and a widow. The Lord was withholding rain from Israel. And this is rampant idolatry at this time because the royal couple ruling over Israel is King Ahab and Jezebel. The Phoenician princess from Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any that were before him. He was bad to the bone. He was horrible. He took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Baal, king of the Sidonians, and she served Baal and she worshipped him. Even in Israel, this Phoenician princess, she was wicked. She was from the land of Sidon and she had married King Ahab. Her name is still echoed 3,000 years later in world history for a synonym to be idolatrous, wicked, polluted, anything. You, You know, we said Mary's the most popular girl name. It's not Jezebel. I don't know any little Jessies. Do you? Any little Jezebels? It's in the book of Revelation. It's bad. You don't name your kid Jezebel. She was wicked. She dies by being thrown out of a window and eaten by the dogs, just like the prophet predicted. So the Lord's withholding rain from Israel. The ravens brought food to Elijah. They're feeding him bread and meat in the morning. The birds fly in and bring him bread and meat every morning, every night, every morning, every night. He's drinking from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. This is a three and a half year drought famine. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. It said, arise and go where? To Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. And behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and he came to the gate of the city. Now he's a tishbite, and he's going way up to the Phoenician territory to Zarephath. And there was a widow there, and she was gathering sticks. And he called out to her, and he said, "Bring me a little water, so I could drink." And as she was going to bring that, he called to her and said, "And bring me a morsel of bread by your hand." And she said, "As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked; only a handful of meal, only a handful of flour in the jar, and just a little bit of oil in the in, in the cruse." And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I'm going to go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat and die. We're out. We're going to die. We're going to starve to death. We have nothing more. And Elijah said to her, Fear not. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake and bring it to me. This prophet of the Lord, and afterward make one for yourself and your son. She had great faith, the widow of Zarephath. She did exactly like the man of God said. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal shall not be spent and the cruse of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and she did as Elijah said and she and he and her household ate for many days, three and a half years in fact. They never ran out of flour, they never ran out of oil just like the man of God Elijah had said. So flour and oil never running out during time of famine <laughs> This is an endless supply, a perpetual supply that never runs out. The bread of God, the bread of life, Jesus Christ Himself, the oil of the Holy Spirit, it never runs out. Every year during Holy Week, the bishop breathes into the oil, the Ruha, the breath of the Holy Spirit. And it's used in all the sacraments for the whole year. It never runs out. Perpetual flour and oil. And a foretelling now of the resurrection and an endless supply of bread and oil that will be Jesus Christ Himself and the Holy Spirit. Because there's another resurrection in the story, the very first resurrection in the Bible, and it's in the Old Testament. Did you know that? The son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And the illness was so severe that there was no breath left in the boy. He's, he's, he's gone. And she said to Elijah, what have you sinned against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And Elijah said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper chamber, to the upper room. The upper room. Good things happen in the upper room in the Bible. This is where he lodged. And he laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O God, my Lord, hast thou brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself out upon the child three times. The divine number, Trinity, three times. And cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's soul come into him again the soul, let let the breath of God come into this child again. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he was revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and delivered him over to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now, because of the power of this resurrection, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. (sighs) Ah. That's a foreshadowing of the resurrection in the upper room when we see Jesus Christ. Now we know, now we know he's risen from the dead. Now we know everything he said was true. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, and the heaven was shut up for three and a half years, and there came a great famine over all the land, and Elijah was sent only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Now, do you think the people in Nazareth like this? They are getting more furious by the minute. This infuriates them. This guy is dissing us and and, and pointing out the woman in Zarephath, Sidon, the Phoenicians, and there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha. The other guy, the one that's even more powerful than Elijah, with a double portion of the spirit. And none of them got cleansed. None of the Israelites got cleansed. But who? Naaman the Syrian. Naaman the Syrian. The commander of the Syrian army. The ones that held his... You're going to bring up a Syrian to us? Are you serious? Oh, they're getting mad. Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man. And his master... And in high favor, because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria through this man against Israel. Naaman was a mighty man of valor, but one problem, he was a leper. Leprosy was developing under his military uniform, and leprosy was extremely contagious, and he would have to be put in a leper colony and lose all his power, his command. He wouldn't be an army guy anymore for Syria. They had captured Israel, and this little girl was captured, and she became a slave girl in his wife's home and the little slave girl came up to her mistress and said oh shoot I wish we were in my country because we have a prophet and he could heal him of leprosy dang what is his name what is his name who is this prophet who is this prophet And, and, and who was it the one who had the double portion of the Holy Spirit is Elisha the prophet he had the mantle of Elijah and Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger out to him Sent a messenger out. What? Go wash in the Jordan River seven times and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. White as snow from leprosy. We know. What? He's not even going to come out of the house. He sent another guy, another messenger. Your prophet's not even coming out. Naaman was angry. He was furious. He went away saying, behold, I thought that surely he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. But what do we know? Lord, I am not worthy that you should come into my house. Only say the word and I will be healed. Elisha knows he can heal from afar, just like Jesus knew. I don't need the centurion. I don't need to be at your house. All you have to do is speak the word. And Naaman is so mad that he won't come out. And he is supposed to go bathe in this dirty Jordan River, this Israeli river. Are you kidding me? In Damascus, we have beautiful rivers, better than all the water of Israel. Could I not wash in one of them and be clean? So he turned away in rage. But the servants came to him and they begged him, My father, if the prophet had commanded you to do some great thing, uh, would you not have done it? How much rather, just go, just try it. Just go in there, Jordan River, and wash and be clean. Just try it. So Naaman goes down. He dips himself seven times into the filthy little puny Jordan River. According to the word of Elisha, the man of God, and Naaman's flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now. There were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. The people are so furious. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up, they put him out of the city, they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him over headlong. So these same people, at the beginning of the chapter, just so astonished, oh my gosh, and now they want to kill him. Mm. But he passes right through them. Away. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, who are you? Who are you, Messiah, Son of God? Who are you in my life? And do I have enough spiritual oxygen to recognize you? We pray for an infilling, an indwelling, a stirring-up of the Holy Spirit for the people of God here tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for joining us in our humanity so that you can take us to your divinity. That one day we might hear the Father say. Come in, good and faithful servant. Come in and take your reward. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: You just heard the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.